You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have uh, Sonka Ahrens. He's the author of a book, uh, Take Smart Notes. Website is uh, takesmartnotes.com. Um, you would think that taking notes would be boring. And um, I remember my wife, uh, th- this book was on our counter and my wife had ordered it. And I picked it up and started reading it. And it was super interesting. So I wanted to get in touch with Sonka and talk to him. And that's why he's here. So Sonka, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell me, um, why write a book on taking notes? Where does all this, uh, this, where did this idea stem from? Well, in the beginning, it was really a practical question for myself uh, while I was writing my PhD thesis. And um, as many students, when they uh, deal with a lot of information, many have the same problems. Um, where do I store the things? How do I remember what I'm reading? And the obvious answer is, well, you, you take notes, but then you have the next question. So where do you store the notes so you can find them again? And as I'm working in the field of education and learning, and uh, I'm interested in uh, the way technology and thinking um, interconnects, I have the luxury of turning this very practical, personal uh, curiosity, how, how do I do that in the best possible way, into a kind of research question. And I'm really surprised that so many different interesting questions uh kind of come together in uh, the very practical, uh, seemingly banal question of, well, how do I take uh, notes? So that, that, that really um, brought me uh, to, to writing the book, just to provide others um, the ideas and the experience I had so others don't have to go through all the trial and errors and yeah. can go yeah. straight ahead. Yeah. And I guess behind the book is this legendary character. I don't have his name on the tip of my tongue, but he was like a master note taker and, and writer. Can you talk about this person? Sure. Uh, that's Niklas Luhmann. Um, he is actually not that well known in the English speaking world. Um, he is uh, very well known in sociology and uh, in Germany and uh, other parts in the world as well. What's interesting about him is not just his theory so he um had this grand theory about society it's rooted in systems theory and um 
in the beginning, I was more interested in his theoretical work, and it's quite challenging. Uh, it's very complex, and it's very interdisciplinary. So he writes about not only sociology, but from a sociological standpoint about all aspects of uh, society, like art and economics and politics, you name it. And later I discovered that the reason he was able to write such dense text with such a complexity um, was only possible because he strategically externalized his thinking on paper. And mm. a kind of side effect, really, more is this enormous productivity. So he started um, actually as someone who is not working in academia. He was um, working in law. And after his nine-to-five job, he just read a lot, uh, like many people do, uh, but also took a lot of notes. And he collected the notes in a particular way that enabled him to spark new ideas from just combining old ideas. And in a very short time, he um, put a couple of books uh, out, get them published, uh, got a professorship in sociology, which wasn't his uh, original field. And mm. then there's this uh, famous question in the beginning in Germany when you start as a professor. So what's your project? And his answer is, well, uh, theory of society. Uh, duration 30 years, uh, cost none. <laughs> and uh, actually, 20 and a half and 29 and a half years later, he uh, published the last chapter of this book. Um, and in the meantime, in these uh, 30 years, he published in total about 60 uh, books on a huge variety of topics hundreds of articles, and in a superficial way, the first thing uh, you get attracted to is, of course, this kind of productivity. And the question is, well, um, how can I get slightly more productive by copying the technique he used? Because whenever he was asked, how on earth are you able to to have this kind of output, which is not mm. repetitive, um, but very dense in insight. His answer was always, well, I, I do that with my Zettelkasten, so his uh, note-taking system. Uh, I'm not doing that alone. Most of it happens just outside on paper. And I think uh, most years people haven't really appreciated um, that this is really uh, the reason for his productivity because we are very prone to uh, this idea that someone who accomplishes a lot um, has to be a genius. And it's much more mundane to say, well, he's probably very smart too, but um, mm. the mundane task of writing down what you think sorting it in a particular way 
that is actually something that makes all the difference. And I think nowadays we have a much better understanding how this kind of externalizing um, really is not just a help for thinking, but more like a necessity um, to really accomplish something. So what are some of the things that, you know, the book mentions a, a slip box, um, but there's no picture of it. But, you know, what are some of the crucial elements of being able to be more effective at taking notes? Yeah, well, the I'm speaking about the slip box, but I discovered that um, it really um, started that people speak about the Zettelkasten and use the German word. Uh, so maybe I just uh, switch to that. And Bold in German again? Zettelkasten. So it's uh, literally the translation is uh, a box of index cards. And mm. that is what it basically is. Um, so the technique of obviously is independent of the material you use. Um, there are software apps uh, available, but he used pen and paper uh, in an index card uh, format. And um, he started to write on normal paper and uh, didn't use the classic index cards out of cardboard or this slightly heavier paper because he realized he will write a lot and whenever he can uh, save some space by using thinner paper, that that is probably helpful. So in the end, it's uh, what you find in libraries, um, these kind of um, uh, furniture index card um, shelves and um they are all written in the uh, on the same format. Um, always have a fixed ID on the top left, uh, which is um, important because he did not sort his notes um, by topic. So mm -hmm. that is something we tend to do intuitively, that we have some uh, categories in mind. And our first question is, well, I've written something down. Where can I store it? And the more important question is not where can I store something, but where can I retrieve it? Where do I want to, in which kind of context do I want to stumble upon something and um, be reminded of something I might have forgotten long ago? So hmm. he would start with writing his first note and give it the ID number one, and the second one number two, and three and four and so on. Interest. The interesting part begins when he now adds um, ideas to already existing ideas and makes connections. So then he's starting to branch out and would put a new note behind number one which he would then call number 1A. So by um, swapping between uh, numbers and letters, he could indefinitely branch out and topics then would emerge uh, bottom-up. So the categories are not hardwired into the system. Um, he would then rather give himself an overview over a topic 
by writing a new note because the way we structure a topic or the way we think about categories are changing over time. And the problem with many systems which are more built like an archive are that they hardwire the initial idea about how we want to approach something into the system and make it very difficult to change that later. So that is interesting for me um, for the question, how can we write in a way that makes it easier for ourselves to change our mind about something? And I think um, that's where uh, the question, what kind of technology do I use? What kind of system do I use really comes into play. So what's the subject that uh, you know really well so we can do a comparison of how would someone normally make a few notes on this subject and then how you would do it with this different system? Is there an easy example that you can uh, talk about? Um, I mean, I can... The, the the question how to change our minds, how to be open-minded, that that is something um, that I'm working on at the moment, um, to put it very plainly. But I can describe how I approach um, writing in general, because I think that um, makes it slightly more feasible how, how it's different. So whenever I read something, I always already have in mind uh, some kind of question and uh, I'm working on and would write uh, a few notes, just um, scribble down what I want to uh, remember from the text. And that is not the main part. Um, So that is just... uh, collecting some stuff um, I'm encountering. The interesting bit is the second step. And that is actually something that many people already don't do. Um, So many people just underline sentence, highlight sentences, maybe write a short excerpt, but don't do the second step. And that is, well, what does does it mean? Um, I've encountered this great idea that, um, for example, uh, technology is relevant for our thinking, but that is kind of abstract um, until we do something with it. And to do something with it means in this context to look through all the old notes, where can I connect this thought with And Mm. in the beginning, of course, when you only have a few notes, um, it's more like a collection, but very quickly, a couple of hundred notes, you start um, seeing connections, building connections. And then you're reminded of something you have written uh, maybe a couple of months before on a similar subject. And if we would just think about it in our head, um, our mind plays tricks with us. So if mm. our mind sees a resemblance, it will make it appear the same. Um, but when we have written it down and compare an actual note we have written a couple of months ago with the new one we are writing uh, now, we are forced to compare the differences. 
And that is one of the main features that um, this kind of externalized memory can't be cheated in the same way we cheat ourselves constantly when we uh, remember something in our mind. So then I would write the new note um, in explicit um, comparison to the old one, maybe extend on an idea, maybe notice uh, a contradiction and would wipe that down. So it's like an ongoing dialogue with um, your old self, which is constantly developing. And that means you spend a lot of time um, looking at old stuff, retrieving it again, and um, thinking about how to uh, make a connection between these two things. And interestingly, uh, these are exactly the things learning theory teaches us we should do when we want to remember something. Um, Retrieving Hmm. old memories, elaborating on them, and actually putting them into our own words. So that means it feels much slower when you... um, uh, go through the things you read and put them into your own words and connect them with your own thoughts. But in the end, it's so much more efficient because um, you um, embed them in the continuous stream of your own thinking and embed them much deeper in your memory. Um, so in a slightly counterintuitive way, I think it's the much more efficient way to approach new information. So so give me an example of a either you or someone you know, a project they worked on. Where were they at before they learned the system and how is it different for them after the system? Um, well, most people I talk to, um, so sometimes I, I coach people to set up their uh, own Settlecaston or uh, file system. And interestingly, um, most of them are not from academia, uh, which is what the book was uh, aimed at in the beginning. I think that is because um, people from uh, medicine, business, and other fields are really interested in storing what they're reading uh, because it's not about collecting. It's about how do I um, uh, bring the new information I uh, gather uh, to my own attention when I need that. So those who are very outcome-orientated, I think, have an attraction to that. And they often struggle um, with finding a coherent system to write notes down. Um, so many tinker a lot with different formats. So uh, they use a journal um, and write down all the thoughts they had within a day, which is great, but it's not perfect because um, it's sorted in a chronological order and you have a very, uh, you have difficulties to uh, find what you have written. And others um, use software apps like Evernote or uh, Google Keep or uh, some Markdown app. 
And they have their own restrictions too. And interestingly, most of them are uh, are forcing you to hardwire some categories. So Mm. um, the change is usually not so much about um, setting the settled custom in exactly the way Lumen did it up, but about thinking differently about note-taking itself and um, thinking about uh, what works for them. Um, So they think more about making connections and um, writing it down in a way that the first uh, thought is always, well, where do I want to stumble upon that when I have already forgotten what I've written down? And the difference it makes uh, is for most of them, uh, first of all, getting into a routine of writing more and rephrasing phrasing, uh, ideas in their own words, which in itself is um, the best technique uh, for understanding and um, the experience is often, well, only in the moment I'm really trying to put it in on my own words, I, I realize I, I haven't really fully understood what I was reading here. So that is usually the first and most obvious effect. And the second one is um, that a coherence system where you only have one kind of um permanent notes doesn't really matter what kind of scribble notes uh, you take whatever works best but if you make a decision on well everything that is long term everything that i want to keep forever where i have um projects which are uh, not finished and done in a month but um continue for longer if you then decide on a particular format, you enable yourself to uh, build up a routine. And I think that's the most um, lasting effect, that you stop thinking so much about where do I write this down? How do I write this down? Because all these things are decided once and for all. I always write it down on this piece of paper or in this application, never longer than... uh, a paragraph and I always keep it in the same space and I always um, go through the same steps of looking for connections writing it down and storing it um, because if you don't have this kind of um, standardized way of writing things down uh, it's almost impossible to turn that into a daily routine and most people I spoke to are really looking for something where they don't have to think anymore about where to put stuff, um, but which can be uh, integrated into their everyday routine, uh, usually in the evening. Yeah. Well, beyond where, you know, what are some of the mechanics of this beyond, you know, let's say I'm taking notes on various literature. I end up with 500 index cards of notes, you know, uh, what would a typical person do in an attempt to synthesize them into a, a book or a thesis about what I'm studying versus the Zettelkasten system? Sure. So um, I think the first thing to keep in mind is that you uh, separate 
uh, a couple of steps. And the first one is really this gathering of information, um, either if you encounter something during your day or in a lecture or uh, during a talk or you're reading something that, that is very similar to David Allen's GTD approach, that the first step is just collecting stuff. And the second step is to process it. The difference to David Allen is that um, his approach works very well to projects where you have a definite outcome uh, and you don't want to lose sight um, where you're heading. When you are looking for insight or working in research, um, you don't know what you're looking for because that's the definition of insight, uh, <laughs> something you cannot foresee. Otherwise, um, you would already know it. So the second step is slightly different. And the um, what I do is, before I write a new note, I um, look through my Zettelkasten, write down a couple of numbers where it might connect to, decide on the one it connects uh, most obviously to, and then write it uh, directly in response to that. So over time, there, something builds up, and I see hmm. where cluster builds, and this is usually where I then decide, well, I can turn that into a lecture, or I can turn that into an article. And then you swap to the third step, and that is, well, you have to outline the manuscript, um, whatever that is for. And that is a different mindset. Working on a manuscript is a different mindset than working within the slip box and developing ideas, because then you have to decide uh, where is this, what is this about? How do I want to structure that? You have to put it in a linear order. And um, the good thing uh, now is you don't start from scratch anymore because you already have built up um, a resource of materials and notes you can immediately use to reshuffle them into something that could work as uh, the outline of an article or manuscript. And it immediately shows you where the gaps are uh, where you have to strengthen an argument, where you have to um, where you have to work on contradictions, and um, then it's really the classic way of how you deal with an argument, uh, a manuscript. You you have to get a first rough draft out that is definitely not perfect, uh, so you can uh, go to the next step, and that is um, looking at it with the eyes of a reader and then um, rewriting it because that's where usually <laughs> uh, most people spend most of the time on and that is rewriting uh, non-perfect uh, draft. Does this give right. you an idea about how to approach it? Well, again, mechanistically, like how would you do all this? You know, I, I, I imagine myself sitting there again with a whole bunch of note cards. I would think most people get lost at this point and maybe just start looking through the note cards and thinking, Oh, you know, what am I going to do with all this stuff? So is there a system within Zettelkasten that shows you how to look at, you know, you've, you've, it sounds like you've categorized them quote unquote properly 
first, right. but still you're sitting there with a whole heap of them. How do you now process them and look for connections and know which right. ones to match to which and how yeah. to put them back in the box and all that stuff? Yeah. Well, it it might sound uh, sound a little bit more simple than it actually is because the um, idea is it's quite easy. It's it's simple, but it's not so easy to get into a routine and to actually do it. So one thing I've left out is um, you have to have an index. You have to have an alphabetical index that gives you an, an overview where things are because um, the notes are not sorted um, by categories. Therefore, you have to um, give yourself a, an overview in a different way. And the simplest is just keeping an index. So Luman had an alphabetical index where you would just uh, point to particular notes which are like entry notes into a cluster um, to that particular uh, topic or a concept or a theory. Um, usually when you... The Zettelkasten has a kind of uh, feedback loop that um, gives you uh, feedback when you need something else. So in the beginning, you won't have any trouble because you only have a few nodes and you know where they are. You uh, might um, track them in the index. But after a while, you kind of lose the idea where things are. So... Um, when you see there's a cluster building on a particular topic like learning, um, then I would write a new note that gives me an overview. So uh, that would be a note uh, with links to all the relevant notes to that particular uh, topic in already a structured way. And I can later replace that. Um, but for the moment, that would be the entry note, which I refer to from the index. And um, the second uh, very pragmatic thing is um, when I work on projects, I also have uh, particular notes which uh, are entries into that. So on these notes, I link to the um, relevant uh, topics within the Zettelkasten um, I might use. So when I then start with the manuscript, um, I would start with the structure which is uh, written on these um, uh, kind of overview notes. Um, so that that is the main way of uh, keeping track uh, where you uh, where you store things. Um, but it's it would be a misunderstanding uh, to think that it is um, about having an overview of everything you have in there, because we don't have an overview over everything we know um, either. Um, it's more about um, getting as quickly as possible into the topics uh, on the content level where we um, uh, can continue the thought and pick up where we left it the last time. So that is really um, 
the main idea about these index. So what do you want your role to be in um, in Zettelcast? Are you going to be a, you know, you've written about it. Are you going to be a big promoter of it? Are you going to be selling Zettelcast in boxes? Or, you know, what do you want your role to be? Well, the main idea really was to have something I can give to my students um, because mm. I see them struggle with uh, notes and I can relate to that because I struggled a lot and uh, used a lot of different systems. And I know what a difference is it makes not to have to think about where do I put stuff and where can I find it. And um, it gets you much quicker to, to what's really relevant. And that is, um, well, uh, the, the content itself. So that, that was the main purpose. Um, mm. I, I do offer coaching for people who uh, want to get into it or explain it differently. And I also would like to see that um, better software apps uh, will be available because we have uh, a lot of tinkering going on at the moment. So the idea um, is very well received and I, it's obvious that there is a huge need for this kind of system uh, where you can collect ideas in a non-linear way. And, but it's obvious, even though it's obvious that this is something that can be easily emulated um, in a software application. There is nothing yet that completely um, uh, convinces me. So there's one uh, which I um, link to from my website, which I use myself. I'm happy with it. But it's um, in the end a one-man project, and I would like to... Um, see an open source project coming up which will be developed further and i don't think that can be turned into a, a regular business because it has to be open source um, when you entrust your thinking and your writing to a system which ideally um works for the very long haul um ideally for life um you, you can't make yourself dependent on a on a company that might uh, get out of business. Um, so I think it needs to be open source, and um, I hope that we can set up something uh, in the near future where people can um, uh, build upon. Yeah, that that's the next idea. Um, have you made little Zettelcast and slipnote boxes, or uh, you know, do your students ever make them? Have you found that that's useful? You know, to have uh, more physical components to it instead of an app? Or do you think uh, an app is more the way to go? I think it depends a little bit on uh, what your preferences are. I started with paper and I swapped to uh, a digital one, but that's mainly because I travel a lot and I want to have it with me. I'm surprised uh, and intrigued uh, by the fact that a lot of people prefer pen and paper um, who are working in software development. So <laughs> it, it, I would say it's almost 50-50 um, who's working with pen and paper or who's preferring a software app. But um, I think 
those are, from my observation, which is um, not empirical research, but um, I have the feeling those who work professionally um, with software prefer pen and paper much more often. That, that yeah, I it's interesting so, that the, the physical is so important with stuff like this, you know? And, and many people have a kind of routine, and um, by writing things down, it slows them, the thinking down. Um, it, it has a physicality to it. Software can't emulate. And I, I totally get that. And when I do quick notes, I always have pen and paper with me. I don't think that can be replaced um, completely. Um, but on the other hand, having a software that can do a full text search, have everything available all the time, um, that is hard to beat too. So that their papers are slightly more clumsy. Maybe there would be a hybrid where you take notes physically. Um, the software component helps you do searches on different thoughts and different themes and connects things. And then you could always, you know, incorporate that and partner with the physical on it. Yeah. I, I think that's, that would be the way to go. It's, it's a little bit in the future, but um, obviously I think this uh, strong difference is, um, will soon be something of the past. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that's true. That a combination of both will, will be the standard way to go. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Sanka, uh, can you restate the name of your book and tell people where it is? And then if they want to uh, you know, ask you about coaching, how can they contact you? Sure. Um, so the book is called How to Take Smart Notes and available on usual bookstores. And more information um, also to the software and... If you uh, want to get in contact with me, uh, it's the website takesmartnotes.com. Okay, very good. And, everybody, and people can, uh, I guess, they get in touch uh, for everything for you in that place. Okay, excellent. Okay. Well, Sanka, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, great. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.